Hi, this is Deb Whitman, and even though there are many other things that you could be doing with your valuable time, you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs> Too many know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. In 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. Oh, the amazing spider talk! Oh, the amazing spider talk! Come swing through the air, sit back. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Giannacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, this is a really big one, so I want to thank everybody for joining us for this really exercise special essentials episode of amazing spider talk we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the spider-man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture yeah dan this is gonna be an epic sized episode because we will be discussing the potential essential spider-man comic of the week it's my pick and it is Amazing Spider-Man number 666 to 673. For those of you who don't know your numbers, that's Spider Island by Dan Slott with art from Stefano Caselli and Umberto Ramos. Uh, and then we'll be uh, checking in with our latest and last Flash Thompson Flash Reviews uh, auditioner. Any other stuff in this episode, Dan? I don't think so. I, think I, that's I it. don't know, but I mean, let's stay true to the nature of Spider Island. Let's just... Blow this thing up. Just Michael Bay this episode. It's a good pick uh, by my measure. Why do you consider this one an essential, though? You know, it's funny. Like when we when we were originally coming up with the list um, for this series, I was thinking I, I picked Spider Island, and then like when when it came time to do it, I, I was almost having second thoughts because I was like, with kind of how things have turned with Dan Slot lately, I was like, oh, is this going to hold up? And um, and upon rereading it, I was like, no, it did hold up. And and these are why – this is what I gravitated to and made it an essential pick, which is basically that – I mean, the overall ultimate theme of this story, and they even say this textually at one point, is that um, while Spider-Man has great powers, what makes him special is the person under the mask, Peter Parker. And that's, to me, a really important point for fans who want to get into Spider-Man. They need to understand – 
why Peter Parker is such a great character. Kind of on a more tertiary level, this is probably the most successful and entertaining summer epic story um, that, that the Spider Office has ever produced. I mean, we've had Maximum Carnage, um, which, well, we, you know our thoughts on that. And I, I can't even think of a few other times that, that I mean, usually Spider-Man kind of gets tied into big um, company-wide events, but he's had very few that have just been relegated just to him. But this was this was a great one. Again, and I, I feel like I said this when we talked about uh, No One Dies, but I think even more so, this kind of served as the bookend for the brand new day, big time era of Spider-Man and kind of kickstarts what would become the most controversial period in recent Spider-Man memory with Superior Spider-Man. So this is like a really key transitional moment for the comics that really kind of like in a lot of ways almost serves as a benchmark for um, Dan Slott from a few years ago and what Dan Slott's doing now. Those are my reasons. Uh, You seem to kind of be cool with this pick. What what do you like about this story, Dan? Yeah, I like for all the reasons you say. I mean, I think it is the best, you know, like big Spider-Man epic. And this is not like – it's definitely thoughtful, but this is like, you know – this is kind of what I think Maximum Carnage aimed to be, which is like this big, every character involved. But like this book balances all of Spider-Man's supporting cast in – I mean rereading this, I was like, I can't believe this is the same writer that we're reading right now. You know, like he's just, it's just so confident and so well-managed and organized um, everybody has a moment that's special and feels important. Um, I mean, this is, you know, I can't think of a, a better big event for Spider-Man, like you said, than, than this book. And what I also like about it is it, it's reflective of um, kind of like every generation of Spider-Man, whether it's, you know, like you know, the 90s with the symbiotes and the clones, you know, uh, all the way down to... You know, I mean, just just every part of Spider-Man's life is represented in this story. Um, you know, the newspaper days, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. You even get that moment with Jonah and Robbie at the end of the series. That's kind of like this really fun, reflective moment about their relationship. Like, like you said, this just hits everything. It's just such a, it's a huge, almost sprawling story. I mean, I we're we're focusing just on the Amazing Spider-Man issues, but I mean, to give you a sense of the scope, this took up like what four issues of Venom. It took up. Uh, there was like three or four different mini series that branched off from this, involving um, Spider Woman or Spider Girl, whatever, whichever Spider character that is, and Cloak and Dagger. Spider Girl got a lot of fans very angry. Oh right, yeah, um, and 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 uh, Shang Chi and or whatever, a um, lot a lot a lot of big spinoffs and one shots, and yet. This is a really focused and cohesive story. And, and, you know, the big moments feel big. They feel earned. They feel you, you, you really kind of celebrate them. Uh, and it's filled with a ton of them. Um, you know, when we, when we talked about No One Dies with Zeke, uh, a few months ago, I mean, I think at one point I kind of said this was, that was like one of Dan Slott's masterpieces. And I still think that, but like, that was like a Dan Slott's masterpiece in terms of like elegance and, and, 
and um, the emotional tenor of it. Spider Island is Dan Slott's masterpiece in terms of just in-your-face fun. You know, this is like, you know, the guy who calls himself the biggest Spider-Man fan out there. I mean, to me, this is the story that that gives total credence to that idea because this is just a blast from start to finish. This is this is this is the Avengers movie as a comic book in terms of that kind of feeling you get watching reading it, right? Yeah, this is like uh, you know the thing that most reminds me of Scott Snyder's Batman Zero Year. You know, like absolutely effortlessly weaving in you know characters and storylines from all you know years of Spider-Man comics, the same way he did with Batman in that book, and, and that's and that's high praise because that Zero Year I think is one of my favorite you know graphic novels I've ever read. Yeah, and, and, and in the same vein, I mean, Spider Island and Zero Year, they have, like, their critics about, oh, you know, this, this feels, like, repetitive, or what are we really learning here? But, like, I, I mean, like, like, I just disagree. Like, I mean, not to make this the Zero Year podcast, but I thought that was just a tremendous amount of fun, and Spider Island's the same way. I mean, like, this was, this was a joyful storyline. Like, I, I just derived so much joy in reading it. And, you know, we're, we're, we're putting a lot of focus on Dan Slott, but I think this is also the, the, the master class of Umberto Ramos. Like, this is his high watermark as a Spider-Man artist, in my opinion, this storyline. For all of his pluses and minuses, too. I mean, there's, you know, whether you like him or not, like, this is his style at its most pronounced. You know, like, you get these pages just jammed, stuffed with his characters doing their bendy bodies and... Things like that, and it's, it's I guess it's like hyper sexualized women, you know. But like, if you want to distill this guy's artwork into one book, this is the one, you know. And he must have killed himself to produce this thing, uh, because every panel it's like, hey, here's like forty people, you know, yes. uh, like all rendered really wonderfully, you know. I, I reread this time, it's just like, I, I mean, I, I kind of speed read through this again just to get you know be prepared for the podcast, you know. But like. You could spend, you know, and I'm glad it came out like every, every two weeks or whatever because you could spend those weeks rereading these issues and finding new details in there uh, to enjoy. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Not to mention like spider costumes, you know, that in a way I think really cuts at uh, Spider-Verse because you kind of got that visual, you know, here uh, of all the various Spider-Men and their costumes. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of to that point with the, I'm glad you brought up the Spider-Verse because, I mean, you know, I mentioned the theme of this, of Spider Island was that, you know, what really makes Spider-Man special is the guy under the mask. And I, and I guess in retrospect, you know, when we used to, when we were talking about Spider-Verse a couple years ago, that was one of my complaints was I felt like, you know, I almost felt like they worked against that in that story. Like, oh, you know, Spider-Man is whoever you want him to be. And and to me, like because of Spider Island, I, I I just felt that rang so so hollow and false. It's like you put all this work into like making Peter Parker the hero, you know, like and and yeah, he does some stuff in this that messes himself up down the line and sets the stages for Doc Ock taking over his body, as we would later learn, and that's kind of 
how Spider-Man is. Like, even in Victory, he finds a way to screw up in a small way that could become a big thing. But, like, in the moment, this was a victory, and this, and he, and he was competent, and he was making quick, he was impulsive, but making the right decisions impulsively. And, like, this is the character I want to read about, you know, like, and, and, and yeah, there are consequences to that. And I, and I, and I like, appreciate that, but I, I rather have him act competent and decisive and make mistakes because of he trying to do the right thing quickly and impulsively versus him, whatever he's been doing for the last couple of years where he just comes across as incompetent and needing others to, to succeed in spite himself. Yeah, and, and, and you know, rereading like even just the prologue of this, like he is zipping around town. He freezes Hydro Man in like an instant, but it's not in like a cheap way. It's like, oh, I heard that he broke out of Rikers, or you know, the, or I guess like uh, the the Triskelion or whatever. And he's like, well, I just built this device to take him down. You know, because I was being proactive, and that's the character I want to read. You know, he's zipping around town, stopping crime left and right. You know, but then he meets a threat that he doesn't know how to deal with. You know, you don't have to regress the character so that like every villain seems powerful again. You just come up with something new, and you know, Spider Verse is like it, it, it couldn't be more opposite in how they portray Peter Parker and, and what they're trying to get out of the story for him. And uh, it, it's strange to come from the same writer, but I, not to bash on, on Spider-Verse too much. But one of the other things that, like, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that every character has a key role to play, and, mm-hmm. and it fits so naturally. Like, the idea that anti-venom is used to cure this. Like, what an elegant solution that is then... You know, like uh, handled so wonderfully, and I think uh, I'm seeing you mention it in your notes for this podcast. But the moment where uh, Spider-Man's spider sense is returned and Venom is like sacrificing himself, like there's a really wonderful climactic moment in this series that, like, you know, it could go either way. You know, and I I remember feeling very on nerves about how that was going to work out for our characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they built the tension perfectly because, I mean, yeah, it's a Spider-Man comic and and much more often than not, he wins the day. But, like, you really buy into the threat and, and you know, again, kind of going going back and trying to recapture what I originally thought when I read this in real time in 2011 versus just rereading it this past week for this podcast – um, the Spider Queen really holds up as a big bad, and here is a case, you know, Dan Slot. We've kind of carped a bit about this tendency in recent stories of kind of relying on these obscure villains, and you know how it doesn't really provide them with any heft or, or gravity because of that. But the Spider Queen here, as kind of the mastermind, even over the Jackal, works because she's this. It's, you know, she just seems in so much in control and she seems so unbeatable, but like her unbeatable status feels earned in this. Like, like you understand where it's coming from um, and how she's acquired this power. It's not a cheat. It's, you know, like she's not going from a nobody to taking out the entire Avengers team in one day. Um, So, yeah, it's just like, 
because of how that was built up, that that big moment, and it's the the penultimate issue of the of the storyline before the epilogue. Um, it's a it's a great moment. Like that's a, like to me, it's a top top ten moment in Spider Man history. That of like of jubil of jubilation, I guess you know. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that great moment where Kane is allowed to kill her uh, in a nice switcheroo. I guess as if I there's one complaint I could throw at this, it would be Madame Web is just so annoying. Yes. And, and the script acknowledges that, but it doesn't. You know, that's something we've kind of harped on Dan Slot for recently is that acknowledging something in your script doesn't make it not annoying. And, right, right, and, and right. that's true here too. But so much other good stuff is there. You can, you know, quickly ignore it. Uh, um, at least I, I could. Uh, although every time she showed up on the page, I was like, I roll. Uh, yeah. But the Kane thing is a nice reverse of that because you think Peter is going to be pushed to success or failure by whether or not he's going to have to kill someone. And then there's the cheat. Well, you know, Peter will do it, just not the actual Peter. This right, clone right. of him is going to, you know, with these, the other powers, which I'm still not super clear on. But <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that that's all very exciting. Um, I mean, th- th- just just how this this uh, one story launched so many other stories. You know, we got Kane's return, and then he got his own series out of this. But it's major status quo changes for these characters that are like interesting and don't feel like an, a forced editorial, you know, change. Right. Um, th- they just feel natural to this story in a way that I feel like the uh, the epics that we've seen recently just have not. Absolutely. And um, again, I mean, in between all of these huge battles of, you know, involving Avengers and the thing and and the X-Men and all that, like we also get really some fantastic character interactions. I mean, I mean, chiefly among them is Peter and MJ. And, you know, like, look, I'm not I'm not a pro marriage person. We've You're talked not about that. Anti marriage person either. No, I'm not an anti marriage person either. But like, this was one of those. This was one of those storylines where I'm like, oh man, they should be together. You know what I mean? Like, like it just. Or if they're not going to be like officially together, like this story just kind of gives credence the idea that they're kind of soulmates, and you know, maybe maybe they'll be together, but maybe they're not. But they'll always be soulmates. Um, and how, how many readers of Amazing Spider-Man, and I'd be curious to hear from our listeners, are still hanging on to the I love you words and that image of them embracing like while looking over the city that ends the, the sixth issue of this story? Like, How many of us are still hanging on to the possibility of that ending? Yeah. Well, tune in to renew your vows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're getting that. No, but, no, yeah. no. But it's it, but it's such like, I mean, putting aside your feelings about the marriage, it's, it's a beautiful moment between these two characters that have such a sh- complex shared history with each other, and 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 it's just captured perfectly. I I I don't know how else to put it. You know, like from from the text. To the sequencing of the art and and you know leading to that embrace, it's just like like it, it is a really 
warm, authentic, emotional moment between two fictional characters. And it kind of bowls me over um, how warming of a moment that was for me in real time and then rereading it just recently. So on the other hand, we have Carly Cooper, who, <laughs> who I continue to be a big fan of, um, how she, at least how she was written. Uh, you know, revisiting this relationship, how, how do you feel looking back on, on the Carly Cooper and how she's handled in this story? Well, I think she's handled very well in this story. I don't know if that changes necessarily. I, I, you know what? I never had a problem with Carly. I mean, like, you know, I think the people that had a problem with the Carly are the people that had a problem with the marriage breaking up. And we can talk about that till we're blue in the face. Um, but I think if you just kind of looked at everything with an open mind, I never had issue with Carly. I didn't think she was some kind of, what's a Mary Sue character or anything like that. And, and you know, like in this in this story, I mean, you know, she's kind of showing off and then she turns into a giant spider. So there's nothing like perfect in every way about that. You know what I mean? Like, I love the moment where Peter is like pleading with the spider where he's like, I'm going to save you. Like, don't you worry, I'll turn you back. And there's just something I, I laugh out loud every time I read that. Because I just, it's funny to see him like cajoling like a, 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 a like whatever, a giant spider that he then like loses amongst a crowd of spiders. And that, that really kind of haunting image of all the spiders climbing the skyscrapers and he's just calling out like, uh, Carly, which one are you? Right. Um, I just like that Peter kind of gets his comeuppance in this story because yes. he does treat her so poorly, and it doesn't treat her like some dumb person. She's like, "You're not respecting me as someone that you care about, so I'm leaving." And you know, it's it's the backbone I always wish Deb Whitman had. You know? <laughs> uh, and so there we go. I you know like. Unfortunately, Carly is now saddled with this Spider-Man tattoo on her waist, um, which wherever she is now with her weird goblin stuff, uh, I hope she found a good tattoo removal and goblin skin removal uh, expert somewhere out there. Yeah, you got to wonder if uh, she'll make an appearance in Dead No More. Yeah, right. I mean, she's not dead. No. She's just kind of half goblin. Somewhere out there. Poor Carly. I'm pouring one uh, out for you. Yeah, well, uh, can we cue the Carly Cooper uh, sad trombone sound right. that we did for a while? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, like I said, great character moments. I mean, even, like, there's some stuff with, like, Flash and, and Steve Rogers that I felt was, like, kind of cool in terms of like throwing back to like Flash's military service and the respect he has for Captain America. Uh, I mentioned the Robbie and Jonah stuff, obviously Peter and Kane, um, kind of reuniting the brothers. Hey brother, (laughs) Hey freaky clone brother. Um, you know, we got stuff at horizon that's worked in seamlessly. I mean, horizon is a really great, added element oh there's like great moments between like peter and reed richards in this like with you know reed knowing but not allowing to you know not trying not to let on that he knows and 
like that scene with him and Kane, and it's like, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> I have to say my favorite thing about Reed Richards in this comic because I totally forgot about this and was like, man, I hope someone references this in the future, is that in order to cure all the people of New York, he gives them like a latent superpower, which is that every person in New York can now – automatically detect magnetic north <laughs> uh, which is a really lame superpower but like i would love it if like somewhere in the future it's just called back to in some way but uh yeah i don't know uh yeah i mean that's a really smart little insertion from and i forgot about that too i mean that's a really smart insertion there um from slot i mean like and again it's just like you said it's just legitimately funny like this is not forced funny this is funny it's funny it's big it's epic i mean there are some of those slotisms we sometimes complain about now like the random pop culture references or peter in his underwear but like i think of most of his modern stories kind of aspire to the emotional gravity and heft that this one did we would probably be complaining about them far less i feel like we kind of pick on that because there are other things that we're dissatisfied with, but this is just like, I mean, you know, like Spider Island is proof. It probably gives proof to the idea of why we're complaining because it's like, we know, we know there's better out there. We we've seen it. We know that, that this, you know, these creators can do it. And it's like, you know, I wish spider verse was this, as we kind of alluded to earlier and we didn't get it. So it's like, you know, you kind of set up saying what's going to be the next, spider-man story that you know that's big and bold that can that can do this i don't know it could be dead no more but you know ends of the earth and spider-verse just kind of you know they've kind of soured us on the on the potential but it does exist like this story does exist and and i'm hopeful that we can get something like this again because this is the like this is amongst the best of dan slot uh and you know, I would only hope that the guy has one more in him, you know, uh, to kind of move us and excite us in this way. Um, who knows if that environment still exists for a story like this to be created, but, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't given up total hope yet, especially yeah. re- after rereading this. But, you know, I mean, I got to say, probably Spider Island is one of the reasons why, in, indirectly, Dan, you and I found a way to, to, to talk to each other because, you know, I remember I started blogging on Chasing Amazing a few months before this story came out and I was very positive on it. And I just remember kind of going to other corners of the internet that covered Spider-Man and being like, why is everyone taking a, uh, I almost, I almost got bleeped on my own show. Why is everyone taking a, a crap on, 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 on this, this writer here? This story is great. Like, you know, like, and, and, you know, we need to be looking at things a little more, not just positively, but like if you're going to be critical, be <clears throat> intelligent with your criticism, not just hate on something for the sake of hating it. And I have to think that, you know, that that kind of approach to these comics is part of what drew people like yourself and whatever to chasing an amazing and then ultimately led to superior and amazing spider talk. Don't you think? Am I am I reaching here? I don't think you're reaching at all because I, oh. I do think this is the point where I became like truly hooked on your blog. Because it was like, come on, this is this is good stuff. This is like, uh, you know, for a modern Spider-Man, this is good stuff. 
And um, it wasn't even getting like good reviews from like the mainstream press that like fawn over Dan Slott's recent work. You know, like IGN wasn't reviewing it terribly well, I don't think. And and I remember being like, what are people talking about? This is some like I mean, it's big bold stuff, you know, and and to see them kind of not that it's the same people doing the reviews, but like to see kind of mainstream press loving Dan Slott's modern stuff. I just I guess, Mark, you and I have a unique sensibilities in regarding what we want out of Spider-Man comics. Yeah. Oh, well. At least it's not The Force Awakens. <laughs> Where we differ completely. It's funny. You keep referencing that. I don't know necessarily that our, our podcast listeners know that I like – that we have this like mini feud going over that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they do. Now they do. Yes. All right. So, um, uh, yeah. yeah. Any more, any more th- specific thoughts on this? Boy, I, you know, I actually like having reread this. I want to go back and reread all the B titles again because it was so exciting. Yeah, uh, I mean, my so. my favorite was definitely the Cloak and Dagger series and the um, the Avengers one shot with Frogman. Yeah, I liked Venom a lot, but I also liked there was a Deadly Foes of Spider Man issue that was a one shot, and that was um, Christos Gage, I think it was, and uh, and that issue featured like uh, you know like uh, Kane as like the big spider monster that he was. Tarantula. The tarantula and Jackal, like, killing off all of the Le Gwen Stacy clones that still, like, existed on the planet. And I thought, wow, what, like, this is great. They're, like, cleaning up all these loose ends. And I, I enjoyed it for that particular reason. And then there was an interesting, like, fight between, like, uh, uh, Robbie Robertson and uh, uh, Spider-Powered Robbie Robertson and the uh, the current hobgoblin that was really interesting and uh, right. so that was Filler. a cool issue yeah yeah well now he's the goblin king or knight or some is he some... still I'm not even sure like was he defeated in the pages of silk I I, I can't remember uh, and neither can he yes <laughs> all well, right that... well uh, we want to move on yeah thank you for joining me on this so uh, why don't we uh, get to the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club stuff. Hey everybody, Dan here to tell you about our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. It's our Patreon service where you, our amazing fans, help support all the costs associated with running our podcast and site and in return get access to all kinds of extra content, free comics, and get exclusive amazing Spider Talk branded items in the mail. This week we want to thank our newest member to join the team, Dane Manson. Thank you, Dane, for joining our exclusive club. We're currently saving money to hire a musician to create new segment jingles to open various parts of the show. So we'd love to have you, our loyal listener, help us reach our fundraising goal. This week, we're giving away a special prize to one of our members. We're giving away an exclusive set of Avengers Age of Ultron screen prints by artist Tyler Stout. This set would make for an awesome set of posters for Marvel fans to display on their walls, and it comes from the Hero Complex Gallery that opened in Santa Monica, Los Angeles for several weeks, so these are quite exclusive. So let's get the drum roll going. (laughs) 
And our winner is Matt Strott. So thank you, Matt, for contributing. And check your mailbox in the coming days for this awesome art set. On next week's show, we'll be giving away commissioned artwork by Ron Friends with inks by Sal Buscema and colors by none other than Edgar Delgado. This one-of-a-kind piece is straight from my commission collection and is available only to our Patreon members. So sign up and you'll be entered into the raffle to win this exclusive piece of art. For all of our other members, please be sure to check out the Patreon page today for an exclusive members-only interview with me and contributor Kane Winstead for our thoughts on the Spider-Man Deadpool series, how Kane puts together his Spider Sales Talk articles, and what it was like reading One More Day as his first Spider-Man comic. Okay, now back to the show. Well, Dan, it's it's been a long journey of some of the very worst D-list characters I could find hanging out on the streets of New York City. But I promise, I promise I have one more guest for the Flash Review segments before we put all these auditions to rest. Who did you drag in here this time, Mark? Well, I got to set the scene first. I was out with one of, at one of my favorite romantic date night restaurants in Brooklyn. When I found our next guest sitting at a table for two by herself, she seemed a little downtrodden. So I asked if she wanted to audition for the podcast. A, a so clear without, pick me up. Yeah. Well, you know, what else was she going to She was she hadn't had anything better to do. It was very clear. Was she doing so, fondue alone? Yeah, it was like fondue, and then like there, she had like she, she there was like a single rose in a vase, but like the petals were falling off, so it was, must have been sitting there for a while. It was wow. very, you know, like very sad. Yeah. Anyway, without further ado, direct from Empire State University's graduate degree department, give it up for Deborah Whitman. Hello, Dan and Mark. Yeah, hi, Deb. I have to admit, after some of the whack jobs we've had audition for this spot on the show, I'm, I'm glad and relieved to have you, a normal person here. You know, and I guess to have a female voice on the show, that's a wonderful thing, too. Thanks, Dan. I agree that there needs to be a stronger female representation in the comic book industry. Did you see the Internet's response to when they replaced Odin's son with a female Thor? That was some of the most disgusting displays of sexism I think the industry has ever seen. And there are still fans out there threatening to kill the editors at Marvel for using a woman as a lead in such a flagship book. Okay, well, Deb, why why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're auditioning? I really enjoy podcasts. In fact, I initially tried to get an audition with that far more popular, longer-running Spider-Man podcast that's been in existence for years and years, but they told me they don't need to resort to such cheap gimmicks to attract listeners to their show like you guys do. 
Okay, well, I guess second best is good enough for now. At least that's what I tell myself. Uh, Why don't you tell us about your favorite Spider-Man story? I really can't think of my favorite, but the story that continues to haunt me to this day is when Norman Osborn kidnapped and murdered Peter and MJ's baby. That couple will never know true happiness. How about how about the movies? Did you see uh, Civil War yet? Mark and I talked about it a few episodes ago. It was okay, though it's difficult for me to sit through fictionalized movies about war. Did you know that while more Americans were killed during the Civil War, World War II is actually considered the country's bloodiest war based on total casualties, but... You're really just arguing semantics when you consider the tens of thousands of lives lost. <sighs> Dad, but I'm not going to lie. This conversation, is, it's a little bit of a buzzkill. For our listeners' sake, let's, let's try to lighten the mood a little bit. Have, have you, by any chance, listened to any of our other Flash review triads yet? Swarm was interesting. He reminded me of... How, because of the harsher winters caused by global climate change, honeybees are dying off at alarming rates, which stands to impact our food supply. Can you imagine going into a grocery store and finding everyday items like apples, milk, and butter out of stock? Because I can. Uh, I, I mean, I guess so. It just sounds awful. But uh, what about Lonesome? It is. What about Lonesome Pincus? Did you uh, did you enjoy his singing at least? Did that make you happy? Yes. Did you read the study about achondroplasia, commonly known as dwarfism and mortality rates? Heart disease and premature death continues to be major concerns for the ACH community, even as major medical advancements are made. It's a potentially dark future for being born with this disability, like Mr. Pincus. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Deb Whitman. Thanks. All right, Dan. Um, I don't know if you're still feeling up to it, but we do have some reviews to do. Yeah, well, I hope these are slightly less depressing than talking to Deb Whitman. <laughs> yeah, she's 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 interesting. All right, I don't. I I, I got to figure out who's gonna like take her back to the restaurant or something because she can't stay here. I, I I don't know who's gonna break that to her. <laughs> are you taking her back to her sad restaurant? <laughs> I I might. I don't know. I can't, like, I, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, she can't stay here. I can't just send her out. I could just, like, I can, well, I don't know. I could drive her out and be like, hey, this is where I found you. I guess I could drive her home, but I don't want to give her any false impressions. No, you don't want to do that. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's do some reviews. <laughs> All right. So the first one we got, we're doing a double review of Civil War Two. Numbers three and four. So some big events actually going on in these books. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said we were going to depress each other. All right. Well, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. 
On one hand, I think the creative team is doing a better job explaining the stakes involved with using Ulysses' uh, precognitive powers and the responsibility that comes with it. But overall, I'm really dissatisfied with the direction of the series. Uh, it has become a game of who can top this with twists, turns, and shocking reveals. And while I understand that the only constant in the comic book industry has changed, I think Civil War II attempts to do so much while still saying so little about these characters and why they do the things they do and choose the alliances that they have. So I'm going to give it a wah, wah, which is bad. All right. Count me in, Mark. Three, two, one. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think this book reads like Bendis really took the criticisms of Millar's original Civil War to heart and has kind of overcorrected and spent like uh, – it's been six issues even though this is only really the fourth issue of Civil War Two. We had those two – preliminary issues, Free Comic Book Day and Zero, and he spent six issues setting up the character dynamics that would lead to a war. But there's only three issues remaining, and I wonder if we're ever going to get to the actual war part. I'm enjoying reading this complicated thread, but there's a seriously interesting and there's a seriously interesting kernel of an idea here, but something needs to happen to justify this as an event rather than just a series of large-scale deaths and an interesting moral conundrum. I can't believe I'm asking for fisticuffs, but there's a war in the title of this series and I want that war. So, I'm going to say wah wah as well. And that's bad. Yeah. All right. Spider-Man number six. All right. This is the Civil War tie-in, so I'm going to count you in three, two, one. Hey, Dan, you know what a series struggling to find its voice and footing under a new status quo really needs? A mandatory crossover with a major event going on in the Marvel Universe. All kidding aside, at least the Civil War II drama that entered uh, Miles Frey did draw a little bit of attention away from the very frustrating go-nowhere personal saga that has been unfurling at a glacial pace since the character formally joined the 616 this year. This book has had some great character moments. Miles and his dad sharing an intimate conversation can't be topped, but I just can't see how the current direction of this narrative is going to lead to an interesting place that truly justifies all the corporate gymnastics Marvel has undergone to try and make Miles a more mainstream character. I like Miles, too. I want to see him in comics going forward. But what Marvel was doing here isn't the way to do it. Wah, wah. All right, Mark, count me in. Three, two, one. So Spider-Man number six. I thought it was interesting that Iron Man comes to confide in Miles Morales so that he can get an innocent perspective on his ongoing crisis. Although they act as if they've never met here, despite being on an Avengers team together and appearing in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. Although the added layer of Tony's use of the word profiling also allows Bendis to inject an interesting racial element to this tale that I was more than happy to see Miles call Tony on. However, so much of the story is just pure expositional dialogue, and while Bendis excels at that, it still leaves the series a bit directionless and in need of a serious hook if it's going to keep me interested. So I'm with you, Mark. Wah, wah, indeed. All right. Spider-Man Deadpool number seven. Another fill-in issue. All right. So I'm counting you in in three, two, one. 
Yeah, second month in a row, and it's a fill-in. And uh, this being the Deadpool comic, we even get a bunch of jokes about it being a fill-in. But unlike the last time around, I actually kind of like this story. Okay, so it's really just one big joke about the evolution of corruption in modern politics. And the Silver Age-esque art stylings are going to have people immediately comparing this comic to the Joe Kelly masterpiece from the 90s, Deadpool 11. But judged on its own merits, I laughed at this book a bunch and felt as a single-issue holdover, it did its job in keeping me reading until the actual story uh, picks back up next time around. So this is a second date. I don't know if Deb ever had a second date, but she's getting one here. And that's good. That's a good thing. Is it a good thing? That's a good thing. All right. For at least for her. All right, Dan, your turn in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, this book definitely intended to call back to Deadpool 11. I mean, I, I think that's uh, like definitely the case. Yeah. And, uh, I guess, well, you can never get too much of a great thing. Uh, I did find it strange that at points the Silver Age Deadpool makes some like modern jokes, but I can easily look past those moments to enjoy what was actually a really biting criticism of our political landscape and also like kind of a mocking love note to comics of the 60s and 70s. Uh, this is the kind of thing I expected Deadpool comic to do, and uh, it had me in stitches throughout. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not um, tying into the main story at all, and it's not the classic Deadpool 11 but it's not far off. So, yeah, I'm going to give this one a second date as well. Oh, good for you. How nice. Yeah. Spider-Gwen number 10, no longer radioactive. Yeah, no, we lost that from the title when she lost her powers. So, uh, all right, counting you in in three, two, one. So this book continues to be inspired coming out of the Spider-Woman crossover. And, you know, once again, I think Latour La- La Rodriguez... Uh, pairing, they really bring out the best of each other, uh, and that shows here as well. Uh, while still building out their universe and introducing new characters, the Spider-Gwen saga is reaching a fever pitch in terms of emotional, character-driven storytelling, which uh, is giving this current arc a very epic feel. Uh, Gwen struggling with her powers over the course of multiple issues is giving Latour a lot of freedom with his narrative, and Rodriguez's pencils remain sharp, giving this whole comic that unique edge and bounce that I think made Spider-Gwen so great to begin with. So I'm giving this one a second date. How nice. Yes. I like this whole second date thing. It seems yeah. so generous. Yeah, very much so. Go to McDonald's. <laughs> you could buy anything off the value menu, baby. There you go. Then you got the two for two now. Ooh, two apple pies. There you go. That's a good Get a strawberry cream pie. They make those now. Do they have those in LA? I have not seen those, but I also have not been to McDonald's in quite a while. Yeah, you're probably all in and out, and that's it. Anyway. Your turn to do Spider-Gwen number 10, 3, 2, 1. Do it animal style. <laughs> well, actually, that's really appropriate for this issue. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I continue to love the idea behind this story arc, specifically that Gwen has a limited time of, or limited use of her spider powers. And the opening to this story is especially interesting, I think, as it depicts her rushing around town trying to find crime to stop before she wastes the use of her powers. That's super interesting. I've never seen it in a Spidey comic before. So the whole thing, you know, it just feels really fresh. Although I thought the second half of this comic was a bit messy. Craven's introduction, I thought, felt really rushed, even though I love the design of this character. And his use of animals added a strange cartooniness to the series. Just when I thought, like, it was getting its most grounded and serious with Gwen, like, losing her powers and stuff. 
Um, so I don't know how much I felt like this is a good pairing. Um, and then the characters didn't really, really react appropriately to this bizarre threat of like animals and bow ties. It really took me out of this comic and the story. So I'm giving this one a wah wah, but like really mild wah wah. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go. All right. All right, Web Warriors number nine, Dan, lead me in. All right, three, two, and one. Here's the thing. This book is fun. It's enjoyable to go romping through the multiverse like this. Did you catch the appearance of the Scavengers in this issue? That's great. It's great stuff. It's the best. The best. The art continues to be a high point, too, especially with all of these universes and characters. But at some point, the storytelling needs to transcend. Oh, this is just great fun, isn't it? And the fact that Web Warriors doesn't do that is probably the biggest reason why it hasn't caught on and isn't long for this world. I hate to kick something when it's down, because as I've said in the past, I feel like the series gives me everything I wish Spider-Verse did. But you, me, and most importantly, the book itself knows it's just running out the clock right now. So I'm going to go... Speaking of running out the clock, count me in. Three, two, one, go! Yeah, I'm not sure what happened, but I thought this issue was light years better than the previous one. Um... This issue, I thought, had far more direction for its characters, and it moves us closer to that inevitable ending. But, you know, it's cleaning things up and, and focusing, and, and, and I just really like that. And the artwork, there's just no getting past the artwork. It's so much fun. And, yeah, fun might be hollow, but this is the kind of fun I want to look at for hours. Um, and in, in any single issue of this series, there are a half dozen really inventive ideas that I think you know, really definitely brought a smile to my face. The main change that makes this issue, though, really sing is I thought that Mike Costa, he split the team up into these various pairings, and I thought it allowed the threads for each character to be more clear and allowed each character to stand more prominently on their own, and, and that made me care a lot more. So I'm giving this one a second date, which I don't know how many dates we're going to have considering this book is not long for this world. All right, Dan, I think... Carnage number 10, and we're done with these, right? Yeah, this is the book you are reviewing for the site, so counting you in in three, two, one. This is definitely an improvement over last issue's glacial storytelling, but I still have reasons to be concerned about the overall direction of the series. As the story goes on and on, I'm getting a sense of deja vu and history repeating itself with how this book is structured. The task force hunts Carnage into some kind of close corner, impossible to win scenario, and then all hell breaks loose, leading to man-wolf transformation and a toxic Carnage battle, blah, blah, blah. There's new symbiotes. Plus, the book actually ends where the arc began five issues ago, which really kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, I believe in this book because these creators have a track record, and I find it to be a miracle that the series has gone on as long as it has. But I hope we're not seeing them trying to stretch out an idea too far. So I'm giving this kind of a, a mild want want. Okay, uh, count me in. Three, two, one. Yeah, Carnage number 10, you alluded to it, but uh, yeah, I was totally confused when this story ended where the first issue of this arc started. I'm just curious why did Conway see fit to structure his story this way? I don't know if he was going for a surprise, but it totally disconnected me from my attachment to this new Jubilile character uh, after asking me to care for her after not seeing for like her for like a half a dozen issues. Then the plot repeats beats we got in the last arc to, you know, lesser returns. I'm interested to see where this team goes now that its former leader has been turned into a symbiote herself. But I'm also kind of ready to see Conway move forward on the plot that it's, he's been circling for like five issues now. So, yeah, I'm giving this one a wah-wah as well. Sounds good, Dan. 
that's it, everyone. You've heard all of our various guests that auditioned to replace Flash Thompson on the podcast. So, you know, who, we're asking the question, who will be the next host of this segment? And, you know, that's going to be up to you guys. So, you know, starting today, if you head on over to the SuperiorSpiderTalk.com website, you can vote in the sidebar. You'll see it on the right-hand side of the page. And you can choose who's going to take over for a good friend, Eugene Thompson, while he recovers. Uh, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Swarm? Is it going to be Pincus? Is it going to be Deb? It's Nathan Lebedsky Nathan and his bats. <laughs> yes, his bats. Which the bat, the Batman. Actually, his wheelchair. Mark, excuse me. All right. Um, it's not my fault. The bats sound like wheelchairs. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not. I'm not about to admit have a sausage is made, but I, I kind of felt Gabriel Stacy was uninspired. You, you, you did. Yeah, you know, I was listening back to that, and I, I was disappointed in his performance. I told him as much before he tried to murder me. That's fair. Maybe that's why he tried to murder you. Yeah, you know, we were we were we were trying to think of something good for him, and you know, it just didn't go anywhere. And again, the whole wanting to murder people thing was a little unnerving. We've got a couple of murderers in our in our auditioning process, so it's been interesting. You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most recently on YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. And of course, if you have any opinions on the comics we talked today, Spider Island, or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com Call 9RedGoblin or tweet at us with OK to print, and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah, and uh, when you're done tweeting and calling and leaving us voice messages, be sure to check out our Facebook pages and subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. And I can't forget to mention to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club where you joining and becoming a patron of our work helps us keep doing this show. Uh, so if you like this show, please support us in the best way possible by joining our Members Club and you'll get some awesome stuff out of it. So Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Yeah, well, uh, you know, you could still find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com where I'm uh, eventually going to be finishing a list of fights about Spider-Man and other people's villains. I promise it's going to finish. You know, this is not going to be like the last of the Bela Lugosi footage or anything like that. Um, (laughs) And then you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Dan, what about yourself? At all the same places except for your Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is not chasing blog. It is sup spider talk. So you can find me there. You know, Mark, last week you regaled us with, uh, I guess, a wonderful eulogy for Uncle Ben. It's certainly the most unique eulogy I've ever heard in that he died during your eulogy. But uh, I was wondering if you found anything interesting in the house while you were cleaning it out. You know, all the debris from Gabriel Stacy blasting out through the back. Uh, but, you know, you had to clear out all of Uncle Ben's, you know, old things. Did you find any mementos that could shed light into the mysterious private life of Uncle Ben? Uh, I mean, I don't know how mysterious this is, but, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I was looking through um, some old things and I found a photo album. 
And within that photo album, I found um, my high school senior yearbook picture. And it reminded me of this time where um, there was this other kid in my class um, who was a bit of a geek like me. There was something off with this kid. And he was like picking fights with the bullies and stuff like that. And, um, you know... I think he like tried to like slash Flash Thompson's tires or something like that. And he went to come to my house to hide out. And, and Uncle Ben, you know, answered the door and was like, you know, to these kids, these, these hooligans, like, you can't, you can't pass, you know, like, like, you know, leave this kid alone. You know, he didn't slash your tires, did you, kid? And Uncle Ben knew the guy slashed the tires, but he was, you know, Uncle Ben was doing the honorable thing. So then these kids, like, went to, like, attack Uncle Ben, and, like, all of a sudden he, like, had, like, U.S. Army training, and he, like, took him out and stuff like that. And I was, like, totally stunned by this. <laughs> like, like, he was doing, like, kung fu and stuff. This is stunning. I know, right? Right? Like, you know, like, you would think that, like, you know, this was like a J. Michael Straczynski story or something, the way he was just, like, totally turning the character around. Um, and, um, moral of the story was Flash Thompson then beat him with a baseball bat and, and he died. And so Flash Thompson's also a murderer in addition to being a drunk, which is probably another reason why we shouldn't have him on the show. And, uh, upon, uh, leaving the scene of the crime, Flash Thompson went, with great podcasts also comes amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next 